Have you ever walked out of Giant Grocery Store over on Norland and the wind is blowing just the right direction and you go, man, I could eat a burger. Have you ever been to a steakhouse and the waitress goes walking by with one of those sizzling, popping, steak, smoky things? What's everybody at your table do? Oh, oh, oh I want one of those. I want one of those. Peppers and onions cooking. Anybody hungry? Do you realize that happens on purpose? I'm pretty sure Giant filters the smell from their bakery out, outside at like 9 o'clock. Have you ever been to Giant at like 9 o'clock? You forget milk and you got to make a run, milk run. We've done that more than once. But you get there and they're baking stuff for the next day. And I'm telling you, they filter those exhaust fans right out into the parking lot. You see, I was reading an article. It's pretty interesting. Back in the 1930s, they, they came up with this, this idea that people will get excited about things and buy things based on the idea rather than the quality of the product. Think about it. When we, if we get excited enough about something, we go buy it or we go experience it. Now, some of you are kind of like Sandy. She, she'll research everything, research everything, research because she's wired that way. Me, I smell a steak going by and want one. That's how I'm wired. But excitement a lot of times is a motivation rather than an actual product. As we continue our journey through the Gospel of John, we see some of that happening. We see some of that excitement. Back in Jesus' day, we have to understand something. There was no Facebook, believe it or not. There was no internet. There was, there was no ad programs. There were no TV shows. Jesus didn't have a publicist making the Sunday morning talk show rounds, talking about his tour. Jesus didn't get on Twitter and tweet, yo, yo, down by the Sea of Galilee, getting ready to chow down on some fish and bread. You going to come join me? Sorry, that was a 51-year-old trying to... Those are the scary things that happened in my house and the reason why my boys roll their eyes so much. But you know what? Everywhere Jesus went, the crowd showed up. Everywhere He went, there were traffic jams. Why? Because people were talking about Jesus. They were spreading the word about Jesus. They were telling their friends about Jesus. They were excited about Him. They pressed in to hear Him speak. They wanted to see His miracles. They maybe even wanted to receive a miracle from Jesus. Many of them, I'm sure. 
People telling their friends, excited about what they had seen, excited about what they experienced, excited about what they had been told, and so they came. And as we look at the story in the Gospel of John, we kind of get to this point in the story where we begin to see a little bit of separation. We see the crowds and the masses that came for, for the, the smoke and the sizzle so to speak. And then we see a little bit of separation of the people that that really weren't just all about the excitement. And here we see that in today's story. Jesus starts starts laying it all on the line. And and I have to warn you as I get wound up here today. Last week, if you were here and you thought I took the gloves off last week, I'm sorry, I'm going to really push today. I'm going to really push buttons today. So I hope nobody gets up in the middle and walks out on me. So probably won't happen, right? We don't do that in central Pennsylvania, right? We're, we're passive aggressive. You'll go out in the parking lot and talk about me, right? No. So anyways, so Jesus is talking about stuff that's really, really strange to these people. He's saying, you got to eat my flesh. You got to drink my blood. And that's the only way for eternal life. So if we look at some of the responses in, in John chapter 6, Verse 52, I think we might have looked at this last week. Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? The Jews, these religious leaders, were struggling mightily to understand what Jesus was saying here. And they they just weren't catching it. Because they were hearing with human ears. They were trying to understand through human perspective. Let's face it, eating flesh and drinking blood sounded like cannibalism. And they're going, wait, I don't get this. They didn't get that Jesus was talking in spiritual terms, not physical ones. So let's continue on with this story. So 53 through 58, Jesus said to them, very, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them just As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The Jews, who Jesus was talking to, had been going through all of the motions. They had been doing all of the rituals, following all of the rules for generations. And Jesus comes along here and he says, that's not enough. Think about it. If you're at the restaurant and a waitress goes by with that sizzling steak and you smell it and you get all excited and you hear the crackling and all the sizzling. At that point, has that steak done anything for you yet? Let's say you get so excited about it that you order it and she brings your very own steak and puts it down in front of you on the table and you sit there and you go, man, does that smell good? Man, I just look how juicy that is. And then you get up and go home. Having not eaten a single bite. Did that steak do anything for you at that moment in time? Jesus is saying to the Jews here, for generations you have been taught, for generations you have taught, that one day the Messiah will come. 
Here's what to expect. Here's what he looks like. Here's what he will do. But they had taken all of the prophecies about the Messiah and they had placed their expectations on him. They had molded an image around what they thought the Messiah ought to look like and be. And so when they had a stake placed on in front of them, they refused to eat. They enjoyed the amazing smell. They were excited by the, the sizzle and the smoke, but when it came down to it, they were, just willing, they were just not willing to accept something different than what they thought it ought to be. They wanted to continue to go through the motions. The Holy Spirit spoke to me as I was writing this. Right at this moment, He said to me, they liked the idea of a Messiah more than they wanted a Messiah. How often is that with us? We love the idea of a lot of things. We love the idea of a closer relationship with Jesus. Boy, that smells awesome. We love the idea of committing to reading Scripture regularly, spending time in prayer regularly. Wow, look at the smoke. I'm committed to, I like the idea of being committed to loving my brother or sister no matter what. Boy, look at the way that sizzles. Juicy and yummy. We like the idea of sacrificing our finances, our time, our energy. We, we like the idea of serving the least of these. Of working on our own lives. Dealing with broken things in our lives. Getting rid of things that need to go. Forgiving those that need to wrong us. Surrendering to the Holy Spirit and saying, wherever, whenever, whatever, however. We look at those things and we love the idea of that. It looks good. It looks exciting. But I would say that we often have a disconnect between liking the idea of a big juicy steak and actually eating a big juicy steak. I have to admit, when Sandy and I were considering planting the spring, I went through a period of time where I really liked the idea of the spring but actually leaving where we were and what we had, not so much. It scared me to death. And there was a, a period of time where I sat there and I looked at the stake that was placed in front of me and thought it looked pretty awesome. But I was afraid to pick up the steak knife. And I know for a fact there were people that came to our vision meetings who heard what our plans were and absolutely loved the idea of what we were going to go do and didn't come. And I bet some of them were being prompted by the Holy Spirit to come. And they chose not to. Sometimes we like the idea of something more than we actually like it. In this story, Jesus is saying it's not good enough to like the idea. There comes a point where you actually have to pick up the steak knife and dive in. There's another really important thing here that Jesus was saying. It's not just a superficial thing. You've heard me share this when we talk about communion. 
Jesus is saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He was saying, I want you to consume me. I want to go into your bloodstream. I want to get out into your muscle fibers. I want to become part of you. I want to be in every part of your life. Not just what you see, what you smell, what you touch. I want to be in every part of you. You see, consuming Jesus isn't superficial. A life surrendered to Jesus isn't superficial. It has to consume us. It has to be part of us. Jesus is telling these folks he wanted to become part of them, to enter into every area of his life. Jesus doesn't want to just have our mouths water over the possibilities of what Jesus can be in our lives. He wants to be in our lives because that action, that transaction is the only source of life. So let's go back to the story. Verses 60 through 61. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? (laughs) This is interesting. Jesus could tell that his disciples were struggling with this. He could tell that they 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 were really wrestling with this. And Jesus went to him and asked him, does this offend you? How many of you have ever gone to somebody and said, have I offended you? Most of us have. I think as a leader, that's something that I'm concerned about sometimes. Um, Sometimes when I give counsel, sometimes when I talk to people, I'm afraid that perhaps I may have offended or pushed too much. So Jesus goes to his disciples and said, did I offend you? Look what he does after this, though. Look what he does, 62 to 65. So then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. You know what Jesus did? He said, Have I offended you? And he knew he had. They were taking some offense here. And you know what he did? He pressed in. He pushed harder. He he didn't back off and say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have offended you. It's my opinion sometimes, you know what? We as Christians, we compromise too quick. We soften or water down the message of Jesus because we don't want to offend. We don't speak up sometimes. Or when we do, we're concerned about about being politically correct or, or making sure that we don't offend the world around us. We've got to understand something. The truth is the truth. The truth is the truth. Listen to me clearly. Someone's opinion does not change the truth. Circumstances do not change the truth. Popular thinking does not change the truth. Now, don't hear me saying we steamroll people because we don't. We can't just say whatever we want, however we want it. We have a responsibility to have hearts that are motivated by love, not hate. When we speak to people, we need to have hearts that are motivated by peace, not fear. When we speak to people, 
But understand this, truth that's delivered with grace and love is a powerful, powerful thing. I'm telling you, if you feel like you need to speak truth and you are sure your heart is motivated by love, then I believe you have a responsibility to speak that truth. Wherever you are. We should never compromise truth out of fear of rejection. Because Jesus says it here. Truth brings life. The story here tells us that many turned their backs on Jesus after hearing this. But a few of them remained. And what I love about those who remained and and the next just couple verses here is we see a really intimate exchange between Jesus and those closest to him. I get pretty excited about these these little little exchanges that we see. And Jesus in verses 66 through 69 we see this exchange. From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon answered him, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus asked them a really direct question. You going to leave too? Everyone else is leaving. But you know what? Peter didn't grumble. Peter didn't complain. Peter didn't question Jesus. Peter didn't waffle around with his answer. He simply said, where else would we go? When we consider our options, when we consider where we've been in life, what we've seen, what we've experienced, where else will we go? You've got the words of life. There's something here also that I think we really need to get. If I were to stand up here right now and declare this sentence... I do not believe Jesus is the Son of God. What would you do? Kick me out. Let me suggest something to you. I believe there is something a measure deeper than believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Throw those verses back up there again. Look, Peter said... We have come to believe and to know. You see, I believe knowing is a step beyond believing. You see, I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. I know He is. Do you see the difference? When we have that kind of confidence, when I say, I know that I know that I know, Do you see the difference? Peter was saying, we're hanging out with you because we've come to believe and now we know who you are. The difference between those who walked away and those who didn't. Those who stayed knew who Jesus was. To them, it was a fact who Jesus was. How much confidence do we have when we we know that we know something? 
I love the question. I heard, heard somebody ask at a conference one time. They said, what would you be willing to attempt if you knew you would not fail? What would you be willing to attempt if you knew you would not fail? So I ask you this morning, do you simply like the idea of Jesus? Is he a a cool concept to you? Is he a big juicy steak that smells incredible, looks incredible, and it's sitting on a plate in front of you? Are you ready to consume him? Are you ready to allow him to permeate every corner of your being? Are you willing to speak the truth about Jesus and love to everyone you encounter? See, sometimes I think we're at a place in our lives where we feel like we have other options. These disciples that walked away from Jesus felt like they had other options. But the 12 that stayed said, you're it. Where else would we go? You're the one, Jesus. You're the one. This morning, I want you to look at your hearts and ask yourself, do you simply believe or do you know that Jesus is the Son of God? And as I look around this room, I see a lot of people who have been in church all your lives. I had this conversation with another pastor uh, a week or so ago. And we were talking about the importance of of having this right. So you guys always see me say that we got this right. And he was saying, you know, we get get too much of this. We got to do some of this. But you know what? Afterwards, as I thought about that conversation, I think a lot of us who have grown up in the church think we have this right. Because we've been going through the motions all our lives. And so we, we, the problem then is, why do people who think they have this right never do this? It's because we don't have this right. We don't do this until... I mean, we think going through the motions is the right. We think doing, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's makes it right. I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. Because when we have a personal relationship with Jesus that's right, it makes us do this. And so this morning, we're going to do something that you might think is odd, but I'm pretty convinced the Holy Spirit is asking me to ask you to come. Jesus said, this is my flesh that's broken for you. Jesus said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. Come eat. Come drink. Jesus is asking us this morning, Do you like the idea of me? Or will you consume me to where I can become permeated into every part of your being? And so I'm not going to serve communion this morning, but I'm going to invite you to come. And in doing so, it's a commitment. Jesus, I know who you are. I want you in every part of my life. So I'm going to pray. I think we're going to have music. 
And you all come as you feel led to come. Father God, I pray for a loosening of of inhibition this morning. I pray for a loosening of we've never done it that way before. I pray that You would open our eyes to see what is truly right in front of us. That we would so get beyond the idea of serving Jesus and just become servants of Jesus. That we would get beyond the idea of it would be good to surrender my life to Jesus to I surrender my life to Jesus. That today would be the day where a switch gets flipped in my heart to where I not only believe Jesus is the Son of God, but I know He is. And we realize there is nowhere else to turn but You, Jesus. You have the words of life. So come.